Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm recording this on my phone as usual because everyone in my house is asleep, so let me make it quick. What a wonderful episode today. We have uh, Bob Dearden, writer, story editor for iZombie. He's also worked on things like Play It Again Dick. He worked on the Veronica Mars movie, and he's been working with Rob Thomas for a while. Bob is as cool as they come, super nice, really funny. I wish I could read you our emails back and forth trying to set this up. Uh, just super funny dude. And um, I just had such a fun, I had a really fun time with this because I'm not sure if you can tell it, I am an iZombie super fan. I fucking love that show. Please watch it if you haven't already. It's on Netflix. The new season starts next Monday if you're listening to this in real time. It is uh, going to be following after Supergirl and Fl- uh, Legends of Tomorrow, which is a great lineup on Monday nights. The first three seasons are on Netflix. Now, like many people, you might be like, hey, zombies sound stupid. Listen, I thought the same thing. The show is incredible. It's a like part procedural. It's part romantic comedy, part drama. Um, there's this huge overarching story, which they just fucking go there. And they do some crazy shit. Within the first three seasons, they just do what you would think and they would do in six seasons. I cannot wait for season four. Uh, make sure you check out last week's episode when we had Rahu Kohli, uh, the actor who plays Ravi on the show. That was a amazing experience as well. So it like it makes me really happy. I'm when I was thinking about quitting the podcast, like these moments of like getting to talk to people involved in something that I just absolutely love just makes me so happy. Um, my wife and I literally watched like probably like six episodes of iZombie today. I mean, we were watching our kid too, but it was on the background. And I, I've seen season three many of times, but man, we just watched the last three episodes of season three, and Bob wrote the third to last, and um, damn, he wrote some fucking good shit. Uh, so that Bob, he's a smart guy. That that show, man, I tell you, it's it's funny, it's sad, it's fucking uh, a thriller at points. Sometimes like a legit zombie movie. I I fucking love it. I can't say enough good things about it. Please binge it. Please watch it live. And please follow Bob on Twitter. At Dear Bob Den. And I also want to say a huge thank you to whoever was running the iZombie Writers Room Twitter account when I tweeted about wanting to get in touch with one of the actors. Um, when I wanted to get in touch with one of the writers for the show because they sent me a DM basically sending me Bob's way and um, connected us. So thank you so much to the at iZombies Writers Make sure you follow that. And, um, oh, there's also podcasts that I really like. Um, this is how much of a, this is how much of an iZombie fan I am. I guess they now call this a second screen experience. But I love podcasts, as you all know. But I like the, uh, the zombie, the iZombie podcast with Robin and Steph. I really, really like that show. And, uh, Bob, they've had some cool writers. So, uh, check that show out. Why not? As always, follow me on Twitter at Let's Chat Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Please poke around, see what some of the old episodes are. Maybe you like, um, maybe you like the Get Up Kids because Matt Pryor has been on, or maybe you like the Simpsons because uh, executive producer writer Mike Price is a past guest. Uh, I've had some cool people on. I'm uh, Travis McElroy, my brother, my brother, and me. I'm I'm plugging myself. I I look back at the last like hundred and eighty whatever episodes, and I'm like, you know, I did a lot more than I ever realized I would. But uh, anyway, Bob, 
Thank you so much. Let's get to it. Let's Chat with Revel and Friends is part of Court and Parts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, and movie podcasts. Check out our other shows that pop this live, Talking Shondaland, We Got Five, and TV Ate My Brain at courtandparts.com. The hog, the hog, you never thought that this cock would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight cause I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Raw G, Brucey B, Kid to Bring. Funk, Master Flex, Love, Funk, Star, Ski. Probably just saying that it's pretty uh, uh, loose show or whatever yeah yeah i listened to a few i listened to the uh interview you did with raul actually yesterday oh thank you uh it was great it was a lot of fun yeah that was man that was uh i was very i was i don't know knowing myself i could listen i listened back i was like wow i was really nervous for the first 20 minutes were you (laughs) yeah i was real nervous and then um i felt like uh, I just kind of I, I was talking to someone. I was like, it was a good lesson in uh, listening because I don't think I did much, and he just said a lot of awesome stuff and just let it happen. Right. Yeah. Well, one thing about Raul is he doesn't mind talking. Oh yeah, what a nice dude. I mean, you've probably met him in real life. Yeah. Yeah. We. Um, I was the assistant to our producers when they were filming the pilot uh, a couple years ago, and. Um, one of my jobs, uh, just like one day, the locations people came up to me with a bunch of the iZombie comics. And they wanted to give them as gifts to some of the, the people from whom they'd rented space. And, uh, you know, just to sort of like keep those uh, relationships, you know, on good standing or whatever, as, as you do when you're renting locations around a city that's as busy as uh, Vancouver is for filming. And so I was tasked with going down to the actors and getting them to to just sign like the covers of the... Uh, of the comic books. And so everyone else was just kind of like, yeah, sure. No problem. And just, you know, wrote "Mm, brains or just wrote some little quippy thing on it or whatever. Um, And then Raul kind of froze and was like, what do I do? I've never signed anything before. And I mean, it's, I'm sure he knew what to do. It's not that hard to figure out how to autograph something, but you know, the, the sort of um, the amazement on his face that he was being asked to sign something that he was, you know, he'd, he had just flown over from England and I don't think he'd, he had done too, too much before that, at least not like um, credited stuff on, uh, you know, on American television or anything that, you know, that sort of prominent. Um, so he was very kind of like green and, and just like real shocked and happy to be there. And uh, four years later, he seems to have settled into <laughs> all of it quite, quite comfortably. Talking massive shit on Ryan Johnson and being like, please cast me again. Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I love it. I love honesty like that. Um, yeah. So, I, one thing I I was doing research. So you're actually from Vancouver originally. Uh, I'm from Ottawa originally. I lived oh, okay. in British Columbia for a long time though. Before I uh, before I went back to school in Texas, and then Texas sort of led directly to LA. So before I moved down to the states, I'd been in BC for a while. Uh, Vancouver hadn't really been home for much of that, but I ended up um, I ended up back in Vancouver uh, between. I guess writing my episode for season one and uh, and the start of season two because I, for the first half of that I was on a student visa, uh, which ran out like as I was writing my episode. So I moved back up to Vancouver. Um, the producers got me a job on the production side uh, of iZombie, so I worked in the office for the rest of the season. And then a few months later, I was able to apply for and and receive a uh, O one visa. 
which I wasn't really eligible for, didn't qualify for uh, at the time that I was being, you know, at the time my student visa was running out. So that's why there was that kind of gap in there. So I did live in Vancouver for a while, but um, grew up in Ottawa, which is the uh, eastern part of the country, just sort of north of uh, Syracuse and Watertown, New York. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I had to think for a sec where that is. All right. Oh, that's awesome. Now, um, school in Texas, is is um, is that where you met like Rob and the team? Yeah. Well, just Rob at that point. Um, he was is he a there. Texas guy? I think I feel like I've heard him on an yeah. interview somewhere. Yeah. Because so, I mean, I think, I think, you know, like huge Veronica Mars party down. Uh, fan. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. Big time. And like, uh, I you know, actually didn't know what iZombie comic was, and just but hearing the name of it didn't really appeal to me because I also don't really like zombies. Right. But I heard Rob Thomas and Diane Ruggiero Wright. Did I get her name right? <laughs> Ruggiero Wright. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I heard those two. I was like, all right. And I like uh, that. I like all the other superhero shows. Gotta watch this. Yeah. And, and you weren't disappointed. I, no. No. Actually, believe it or not. Um, this season, I fell off. At one point, Flash was like my favorite show of all of them. Yeah. And this season of Flash, I have not watched. I've just not liked. I just fell off all of them and got really hard into iZombie because where I like the th- there's a lot of stuff I like about those shows, but then that kind of st- that trope got old. Right. And um, one of the amazing things you guys kind of do with iZombie is like it's just fucking um, almost like Breaking Bad or like even I guess now like more modern like The Good Place. Like you just do something. Uh, Breaking Bad's a perfect example. Like the way you guys ended season, like even two and three, I didn't expect that to be like any other story that would happen season four, five, or six. So you're like, right. oh my god, they're fucking ahead of you're ahead of me, and I, you, I don't know what's going to happen next. Like it's amazing, and that's like that's why I love it. Uh, well, thank you. I think uh, all credit is due to me on those fronts. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, no, Rob, Rob and Dan, um, you know, Dan's probably a little more of a, of a pure genre fan. Um, and, and Rob certainly has, uh, you know, varied tastes and, and quite a, quite an expansive skill set himself when it comes to plotting and, and just moving the machine along. Um, and yeah, they've, I think they've done a really great job of, uh, you know, accelerated pacing and, and then not, not getting so far ahead of ourselves at the same time that, you know, we don't have an idea of what story we want to tell, like going into the end of going into each finale. I feel like, uh, you know, we have discussions in the writer's room led by Robin Diane that, um, you know, we don't get specific about where we're going the following season, but we know the, the sort of sandbox we're going to be playing in and we know that there's story there. And that's, that's the reason that we, you know, we've taken the show in the directions that we've taken them at the end of end of each season and sort of opened up the world a bit further and further. And then of course, at the end of last season, opening up the, uh, you know, knowledge of, of zombieism and, and how pervasive it is in Seattle, uh, letting the entire world know that is, you know, it, it blows the whole thing wide open. Um, oh my God. It was the way they ended, you guys uh, ended season three. was just like, Oh my God. I don't know. It was just, mind-blowing like it really was it was it, uh, the, the voiceover by uh J- jason doring the guy i don't know right. i knew from around right. it was just i don't know it just felt like uh it felt like the beginning of a like of a movie even though it was the end of a season well that's that's very nice to hear um that episode was directed by dan etheridge who's one of our um uh he's the onset producer and he is a longtime uh producing partner with rob uh, and that when you mentioned Jason's um, 
his uh, his video message to the world there. I just got a flashback of how that was shot, and uh, I think it was all really well done, top to bottom. Um, and I'm hoping that uh, you know all of our fans feel the same way that you do and are excited about uh, you know what what possibilities that opens up for season four, which we don't have to wait too long to find out anymore. So I know, very. Soon. Yeah, I think I I think so, right? Like I don't catch a lot of flack about iZombie, but I, I'm also not one. I don't read comments. And I'm not like right. going for that, but like, it seems to ha- have the place of like where Rob Thomas is, is like strong core fan base and maybe doesn't break out past that. But people who love it fucking love it. And critics like love it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't disagree from what I've seen as well. I mean, I, I wish that, you know, we maybe had a few more eyeballs on our, on our live oh, yeah, viewing and hopefully we can retain or even grow a bit this year from last year. But, uh, the only thing I've ever really heard is kind of what you mentioned at the beginning in terms of, you know, negative attitudes about the show is, you know, that, that if people aren't really into zombie shows or they, you know, they get turned off by the title or just the concept when you read it in a, in a one or two page or one or two line log, you know, you, you might not think that's for you, but most people that give it a chance uh, are, are pleasantly surprised by it at least. And it seems like our uh, core fans anyway, um, you know, I've really stuck with it. Nobody's been, there's been a few storylines, I think, where people are like, nah, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of this and that. Uh, you know, the, the Blaine, Ravi, Peyton triangle comes to mind that some people were reacting yeah, to. Yeah. But, you know, you kind of, you have to give characters room I, to, I didn't to be mind unpleasant. that that much. Yeah. I see, well, whenever, like, I, I think about this, though, um, I don't, there's a website, like, they call it Cracked, and it's like, um, you terrible storylines and otherwise amazing shows so even like breaking bad has the storyline of uh the sister stealing that no one fucking cares about right. so it's like chill right. people there's gonna be things in the show that you're not gonna love and i, I honestly i i wasn't like in love with the ravi storyline at first but then like actually talking to uh, rahul a little it's like oh my god that's actually really brilliant because like you get to take this fun chipper character that we all kind of love and then we get to see this other human side of him where right. he's kind of being like a bit of a bitch but he's also like <laughs> he's human and I, like it actually as i zoomed out a little i was like all right that was actually really cool i like seeing a different side of robbie and yeah. see him expand and be like a full 360 degree person so yeah. it actually made me really appreciate that a lot more because i think we've all been there right like logically we know we shouldn't act a certain way but you know we do yeah the opposite <laughs> yeah I, I think uh I think it's a familiar path for um, for a lot of people to go down, where you can see yourself uh, behaving in ways that you you, you know you, if somebody else was doing that, if your buddy was doing that, you would you know give him a shake and and smarten him up. But you just can't help yourself, and I think it it also it gives you room to to then sort of redeem that character, which is uh, oh yeah, with that the scene. Um, which you guys, so I know you guys all wrote it, but like, so I just watched season uh, three again. Like I just had finished, um, like through it. I forgot about the scene where Robbie, did, um, how much you guys had planted that seed of major fucking fucking with him about staying in the car. Right. But then at the end of season three, he takes a fucking gun to the head to protect the zombies. And I was like, Oh my God, that's the hero's journey. They did yeah. it. That was, you got to watch it twice to get it. And I was like, all right, it was good. It all paid <laughs> off in the end. Well, I'm glad you liked it in the end result. We were we were happy with it. I know it was a it was a bit of a struggle for for uh, some of our fans in the first half of season three, just watching him, you know, 
exhibit traits that I think uh, people didn't necessarily associate with him over the first two seasons, but we hope it was pretty satisfying uh, to see him redeemed by the end of that season. Uh, and we think, I, I think Raul mentioned this in his uh, interview with you as well, but I think, I think Robbie fans are going to be pretty happy with the stuff that we have been doing in season four. Oh, I can't wait. Now, um, like not making it political, but was there like a certain undertone that you guys were trying to do with the uh, the zombie guys being like the clan or all right? Is that like something like people kind of projected on that, or is that intentional? Uh, I feel like when we because we write, um, and I, I guess you must do it like a couple years or a year in advance, where it might have been like shit. <laughs> I think it's, it's not quite a year in advance, but I mean, we started writing uh, season three in May of that year when may of 2016 i guess so there was obviously there's political stuff happening but it was it was prior to the election and uh you know the episodes didn't start airing until i think march or april of 2017 so by that time there was obviously like a a, a pretty big sea change in you know in terms of who was in the white house and and how the country had shifted uh in terms of what was considered acceptable and and what was being discussed politically um, so I don't know that we were intending to make, um, the, the Johns brothers and their, and their group the alt-right so much as they were a little more, um, a little more of that, uh, like AM radio listening conspiracy theorist <clears throat> type group, uh, with a, certainly with a, um, you know, a stripe of, uh, of off the grid sort of, uh, the type of guys that. Maybe weren't in a militia yet, but at some point they might be in a militia. Mm. Um, and there were definitely a, a few racist overtones within that. And there's obvious obvious parallels when they're talking about, um, you know, their fear of of this unknown uh, new race or new species. I mean, there's just intrinsic parallels there. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't a um, conscious effort. I don't think. I don't want to speak for Rob and Diane. But to my recollection, it wasn't like a conscious effort to compare it to the, you know, the people who would show up at a, a Trump rally back during the primaries. Because uh, I think back then we thought what most people thought, which was that this is a sideshow yeah. that will at some point collapse. Uh, and of course, it, it hasn't yet. Still waiting. Yeah. 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 Well, I think at least like with that, though, like it's done in a way where it's still self-contained and it's not like a wink at the camera or anything or like, it's like right. that, 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 that those types of people are timeless. Sadly, uh, the militia pre-militia. I like that pre-militia. That sounds right. pretty good. Um, actually I want to kind of actually go out of order. Cause I met the one thing I really want. I got excited is I saw you worked on the Veronica Mars movie. Can, I did. Um, yeah. What was your, how, was that awesome? Uh, it was awesome. Um, I started uh, my relationship with Rob as an intern when I was at uh, UT Austin, and he'd been, uh, you know, he'd been living there for a few years. I think somewhere around 2011, he moved his family back there, and um, you know, still was writing pilots and and had stuff in development all over Hollywood, but you know, would sort of commute when necessary and was mostly working from Austin. Um, and so I worked for him or worked with him as an intern, uh, for our first semester of that year, uh, during which he was, he was working on a bunch of different pilots, um, and then continued working with him for the second semester and somewhere around like January or February, uh, the, the whole notion of, you know, funding of Veronica Mars movie through Kickstarter, which I guess had been discussed the year prior before I had met Rob, but, but then just sort of dropped. 
um, the idea had been resurrected. Um, and so all of a sudden, all of our, you know, sort of our work sessions, there was two other guys that went to school with me who, who also interned with Rob. Uh, and all of our work sessions, um, you know, what we had been doing previously was tabled because, uh, you know, once that runaway train started going, um, there was no stopping it. And so we worked a little bit on uh, trying to help Rob break the script. Uh, and I don't want to oversell our contributions. We acted as more of a, a sounding board for him uh, as he kind of worked through what he wanted to do. And, and because we were all a little bit starstruck, you know, right from the, the moment we started working with Rob, um, we had all, all three of us, I think, gone back and binge watched Veronica Mars and Party Down like pretty recently. So we were a little bit of a, um, a little kind of research hub for him where we reminded him of things that, uh, you know, things that they had done on the show and, and relationships between secondary characters and, you know, things you wouldn't immediately remember from a show that was at that point 10 years old. Um, so we were kind of serving that function for a bit in the beginning. And then once the movie went into production, uh, into pre-production, I should say, in May, Rob moved out, moved out to LA for the summer and uh, got all three of us jobs as production assistants on the shoot. So my other two buddies, uh, I'll, I'll name them, uh, Steve Stringer and John Bellina. Uh, John works actually on iZombie to this day. Um, nice. They worked as on-set PAs. They had some experience in that world. So they had a little more interaction with some of the cast and stuff like that. So I was a little bit jealous of that, but they had longer days and generally shittier days. I was an office PA, so I was going around getting groceries and uh, you know doing equipment runs and things like that. I had kind of a cushier gig, but I didn't really get to interact with people on set quite as much. Um, but it was, a, I mean, it was a huge, uh, a huge thrill for that to be the, you know, the first kind of exposure we had because there was a lot of attention around it from the, you know, the fans who had donated to it and the, and the way that it was funded and all that stuff. It was sort of the first of its kind. So there was a lot of attention on it and there was a lot of, uh, just a lot of cool stuff that was going on behind the scenes that we got to bear witness to in terms of how a movie gets made in that way. Yeah, isn't Kristen Bell, she either doing Frozen, or, like Frozen and like I and Veronica Mars movie come out like the same year, I think. Is that right? I, I didn't know anything about Frozen at the time. Uh, nah, me I neither. Know, but I know she just had a, a kid. I think it was her first kid. Um, and so, you know, it was, and it was really soon after. So, I mean, the, the willingness on her part to fit the shooting schedule, you know, into that time of her life. Um, you know, probably because both her and, and you know, the, the rest of the cast were only going to be available together, um, you know, for certain periods. Like it was, it was going to be, I think, a scheduling nightmare to try and do it any later than that. And so the fact that she was willing, like right after she had a kid to get back to work and to put in these like 16, 18 hour days. I mean, of course, you, you know, you know, she's both in the show and in the movie, she carries everything. So she didn't get a lot of time off, you know, she didn't get a lot of days off. And, um, and just the fact that she was willing to do that was pretty amazing. Cause obviously, you know, without her, there's, there's nothing going on there. And then she, uh, she was willing again to, to give us some time when we did a, a web series called play it again, Dick, that was sort of based on the Ryan Hansen character. Um, we did that, um, almost a year, a little more than a year after they shot the movie, but a few months after the movie came out, um, and everyone did it for like, uh, you know, I think SAG minimum or even some sort of exception to the SAG minimum. So they're making like nothing. Um, but she came out and did it for a day. And I, I don't think, 
had Kristen Bell not not agreed to be a part of that web series, I don't know that it would have had any traction either. You know, just because she's such a uh, such a huge component of that world and such a huge star in her own right. I don't think I ever saw that. I'm gonna have to try to find that because I saw that. Oh, you gotta check it out. I don't know about that. So good. Um, I only say that because I co-wrote it with Rob. Um, but that was, I got to be on set for that. They shot it not far from where we were in, uh, in the writer's room for iZombie season one at that point. Um, and they rented this house, uh, maybe like 10 or 15 minutes away from where the iZombie offices are. And that's where they shot, played again, Dick over about 10 days. Um, so I got to go back and forth and, and got to be there for shooting days on the weekends and stuff. And that was really cool because I was like, Rob was pretty busy with other stuff. So I was kind of the, the writer on set, if you want to call it that. And um, finally got to meet, uh, you know, I got to meet Ryan uh, Hansen. I got to meet Jason Doring, uh, Robert Buckley and Rose were both, uh, both did kind of bit roles um, in the web series. So I got to, got to hang out with them again. It was after the iZombie pilot was shot, but it was before uh, production of season one uh, picked back up. Mm. Uh, and then I finally got to meet, Kristen Bell, which is great. Um, and, you know, sort of introduced myself and she's like, Oh yeah, I've seen you around like a million times. I was like, wow. Kristen Bell knows who I am. <laughs> do, do you guys, and I love how like, there's always like characters from, um, uh, Veronica Mars that kind of pop up throughout Rob's work, especially in iZombie now. It's really cool. Yeah. Like the weatherman or, um, Johnny Frost. Like, Johnny Frost. And is, is it fun? And like, I mean, Ken Marino, I mean, come on. That's yeah. got to be like the dream to write for that guy. Yeah, I mean, it's so Rob obviously knows those guys really well, and both Vinnie Van Lowe and uh, I think his name's Brant in our show, the lawyer that he plays. But both of those characters are just so pitch perfectly slimy for for Ken Marino to be playing. Um, I always get jealous when, you know, like obviously he's got a busy schedule. Um, a lot of our guest stars do so. Uh, you know, there's only so much you can you can do to fit them in, and and uh, you know, Rob does what he can uh, in terms of uh, you know reaching out to them and seeing when they're available and trying to make best use of them. But I get so jealous when it's another writer who gets to write for Ken Marino um, and gets to go up to set and theoretically meet Ken Marino. Uh, but I got um, I got sort of a bonus Veronica Mars tie-in once with one of my episodes when uh, Enrico Colantoni was in it. So, oh, which one did you write? Uh, that was it? like episode uh, seventeen of season two, where he was like an undercover, uh, or he was a, a vice cop who was. Uh, oh yeah, there was a yeah, college yeah. campus case where he had these oh, kids. Uh, that's a real good episode. Out. Well, thank you kindly. I wrote most of it. Um, oh, they yeah, no, I really like that when he punches the kid. Yeah, and he's, yeah, yeah. it's kind of got like a little training day esque thing going. A little bit. Yeah, it's, it's a yeah. it's a bit of a departure from Keith Mars, um, but he was so great and he was so cool to to just sort of chat with a little bit uh, between scenes. You know, I've been a big fan of his for a long time, and and had also met him on Played Again Dick. He did a uh, a guest spot for a day on that too, but I, I'd met him so briefly that um, it, w- it was really cool to get to hang out with him for a, another day or two on set. And then uh, I can't remember if it, he did. He did this last year or this year, but I know he's directed an episode of iZombie as well, which I was again jealous of the of the writer who got to be uh, you know got to be on set for that one. But it's cool that we get to tie in all these people because coming from where I've come from, uh, you know, I was already a big fan of Party Down before I met Rob, 
and became, uh, you know, pretty enmeshed in, in all that was Veronica Mars uh, once I'd met him and once we started working on the movie and the web series. So to get to meet all these people that you've been a fan of, uh, you know, for, for at least a few years is, uh, is pretty surreal. You guys had, and you even had, um, like Janet Varney was such a good guest star who you like, I, I love her. She's so fucking funny. Like, it's so funny for like a zombie show. There's definitely like a huge comedic element. Like are any of your writers like outright comedy writers or you guys just happen to be funny writing as well? Well, you know who we had on staff season one, uh, who was definitely a, a very well-established comedy writers, um, Gloria Calderon Kellett, who is the showrunner, co-showrunner of uh, One Day at a Time on Netflix. No, f- I, yeah. no, yeah. I had no idea there was a connection. That show is like, I, I'm not to veer off. I don't know if you watch one day at a time. It's really good. No, I do. I do. I love it. Oh, yeah. uh, and I, I love Gloria. Yeah. I mean, she's, uh, one of the sweetest people, excuse me, one of the, one of the sweetest people, uh, and funniest people that, uh, I've, I've had the pleasure of working with here. Uh, and you know, she's, uh, the amount of success she's had since then is unbelievable. She's got a, another couple shows in um, in development for next season as well. So, um, but she had come from I think How I Met Your Mother was the, oh, the, yeah, the yeah. credit with that we know of at the time. Um, is Ken Reno in that? I think he might have popped up in there somewhere. Maybe uh, doesn't, doesn't he's in everything. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, I can't. I can't place him in How I Met Your Mother off the top of my no, head. I'll try to go. I thought that, but yeah, there's a show. I mean, talk. I, I don't. I don't want to make you insult your own people of the industry, but there's a show that really like that. That's a show that the season finale like ruins the entire series for me. Yeah, I, I think you're not alone in that sentiment. It, um, yeah, I just happened to see this alternate one they filmed that just got released. I just found on YouTube. I was like. Oh, that would have made so much more sense. Oh, what was the what was the? <laughs> it difference? was just like a really basic. He's like Jason Siegel turns to some random kid in the bar. He's like, you know what, kid? You know what happened here? And they do like a montage of all their lives, and it ends up they all live happy with. And he's like, that's how I met your mother, and oh, yeah. uh, it made the last season make sense. And uh, right. it was just kind of sweet and emotional. And I mean, that's that that season finale was so bad they canceled How I Met Your Father. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I think I heard is coming back now because the Ladybird did so well. But like, it's just so funny. And I wasn't like huge into that show. Like, I, I definitely liked it. And like, I still go back and watch some, there's some really brilliant episodes. But like, God, that last episode sucks so hard. Yeah, I think a lot of people felt that way about the entire last season. Just the, yeah, definitely. Took place over that one weekend. Um, I didn't get into I, by that point. I'd kind of fallen off watching it. Like I watched it a fair bit in the in the early days, and not for any particular reason, but just sort of fallen off by then. Um, so I guess I was a little insulated from the the backlash. I wasn't as invested as uh, as some other viewers who'd stayed with it. Um, but that, I mean, that's a. I feel like that's such a danger now with anything. I mean, I was a huge fan of Lost, uh, and still am, and and I'm like the only person I know that will argue the merits of the last season and the last episode of Lost. Um, but I get into like shouting matches with people sometimes uh, over, you know, them saying how bad it was, but I feel like, you know, that was the early days of the, uh, you know, the sort of uh, anonymous voices on the internet kind of becoming, <clears throat> becoming this mass. Um, and so there's so much scrutiny now, I feel like not just with, how many entertainment blogs or podcasts are out there, but 
you know, with the, that sort of group think that starts to happen on Twitter, um, where people don't, I mean, people just read sort of a headline or a funny little meme or something like that and decide that that is the, uh, sort of be all end all opinion about something. Um, and so many shows, I feel like have gotten shat upon, uh, for how they decided to end their show. It's not, I mean, to land a plane, uh, you know, that you've been, that you've had in the air for five years or seven years or whatever, um, to everyone's satisfaction feels like a pretty impossible task these days. So, I, I mean, I hope if, and when, I mean, I hope I, I zombie just goes for more seasons than Grey's Anatomy, but if, and when <laughs> yeah. we, we have to, uh, we have to find an ending and we have to wrap things up. Um, I, I hope that we don't, uh, that we don't get too much, um, backlash, you know, I hope that we, leave people uh, relatively satisfied and happy with the experience, not only of the finale, but of the X number of years that, that preceded it. Well, that's, that's also an interesting question because you're actually a writer for television where I'm just like the viewer. Um, are you like you guys in the room or you all the view in the room? Are you cognizant of that being like, let's not do a dream sequence or like do something oh, yeah. that would erase the undercut it. Like not the ending, but like that's, you've taken some big risk, but everything you've always done is propelled the story forward where I think in this case of how I met your mother kind of took the story backwards. Right. Like, is there a lot of discussion into that? Like even like the end season two was like, I mean, if that was the end of the series, I would have been pissed, but I'd be like, the fuck did they go out on a good, you know, right. Damn. Did they end it right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of talk from day one uh, of every season about how we want it, like where we want to get to by the end of that season. That's kind of the first thing we talk about. Um, and I don't know how common this is with other shows. I would imagine the more and more shows that are sort of serialized instead of procedural um, or episodic, I, I feel like this is probably pretty commonplace, but, you know, we try to talk about uh, where we want, you know, the season to end up and what the, you know, the mile markers are on the way there. So that we have like this rough map of, um, you know, of, of what big sort of turning points we're going to hit over over the course of 13 episodes to get from where we left off the previous season to where we want to leave off the, the upcoming season. Um, and then in the bigger picture, like while we're discussing that sort of stuff, um, there are certain things that, you know, are just kind of off the table because they might interfere with where Rob and Diane ultimately want to take the series and I won't give any of those ideas away. I mean, those ideas may not, may not last through the end of the series anyway, but um, you know, as a, for instance, that, that Rob himself has, has spoken publicly about uh, you know, we've got Ravi working on this cure kind of throughout the series uh, and at the end of season three um, working on more of a, a vaccine. So he's always fiddling with his, with his lab kit, you know, trying to, uh, work whatever pseudoscience we can come up with toward the, you know, the abolition of the zombie virus kind of thing. And, um, and Rob has always said, like, the minute Robbie finds a cure, unless we, you know, unless we limit it in some way, the show's over. So we, you know, that's something that who knows, maybe uh, will crop up, pop up again uh, as we reach a series conclusion um, and I'm not, I'm not giving anything away there. I really don't know what they're planning on doing. Um, but obviously it's an ongoing thing 
But if we had Robbie successful in that quest, I mean, fully successful in that quest where he's not worried about a limited supply of tainted utopium, for instance, as a, as a key ingredient, um, then the show's over. I mean, what's the, what is there from there? Like we need to kind of expand the scope and keep expanding the scope going forward. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we have at least one more season, if not a few more seasons to, to keep expanding and then to, to kind of get to a point where everything sort of teeters on the brink. And then from there, um, again, hopefully we can, we can find a conclusion to that, that everyone finds satisfying for, for the show and for their favorite characters and, and all that good stuff. Well, I also, I like uh, shows that also kind of piss people off too, like Sopranos. Like I like the way they, ha- how they ended that. Yeah. So, I, I respect that. If you guys uh, do something where it might challenge the viewers, like we just fade it, to fade to black or cut smash to black with 15 minutes yeah. to go. You'd be all right and, with that. And, and put some journey in there and be like, huh, so this is uh, the vision of Tony Soprano the whole time. Well, because of that Sopranos episode, we can't afford journey. Yeah. That was actually a question I also had. I was wondering for you guys, uh, for you writers, like, uh, is it hard writing? Because I mean, you know, like, there's the creativity aspect, which is awesome, but then you also have restrictions within terms like budgetary and timing and stuff. Like, do you find some of those things helpful to for storytelling or yeah, handouts? yeah? Sometimes I I do actually find them helpful. I mean, most of the time they're a bit of an annoyance, um, you know, because you've got several layers of, um, I, I guess editors uh, of a sort um you know when you're writing so we we all get together just to give you a little overview of how our room works i mean we all get together in this conference room and and just sort of shoot the shit at the you know at the direction of rob and diane uh whatever it is that they want to discuss whether it's bigger picture stuff or they want to get into the, the crime of the week or whatever it is on a given day that's what we discuss and we all kind of throw ideas out there and uh, and eventually, uh, you know, a framework for an episode starts to come together. Uh, and then we discuss things further and further in, in more detail. And once it gets to a point where Rob feels comfortable, uh, that, that the assigned writer, you know, knows what they, uh, what they're being tasked with, the writer gets sent off and, you know, spends a couple weeks trying to execute the script. Um, and so, you know, the, the main editor, I guess, on our show uh, from the perspective of a of a writer on staff is, is going to be Rob and Diane. Um, you know, they, they're directing the, the discussion about the episode and, and how the episode is drawn out in the first place. And then they're going to have the first crack at your, uh, at your script or the final crack, I should say, at your script in terms of, you know, tweaking some of the scenes and the dialogue and making it sound the way they want it to sound. Um, so that's on the creative side. That's your, that's the big kind of, um, you know, looming judgment hanging over all of us. We get sent off to write a script. We want to, we want as much of our, uh, the work that we've done to end up in the episode. Uh, we want to impress our bosses. We want to, you know, we want to, want to be the favorite, uh, all that stuff. So you, you kind of, um, you, you have that looming over you as, as you're writing it. But then once you, you know, hopefully pass that test, you've also got clearances, which is, you know, sort of a a legal department at Warner Brothers that tells you things like, well, you can't do this joke about uh, Mountain Dew because Mountain Dew advertises on our show, potentially. Um, Does that happen a lot? Yeah, I mean, like Rob and and Diane and people that are a little more seasoned, they um, they have a, a good sense of 
um, what you definitely can't do. And then sometimes they'll try to um, push things in there that they feel are maybe a toss up in terms of if they really like a certain joke or they really like a certain reference, um, you know, they might, they might kind of push it, even though they, they think, wow, we're not sure if this will get through. Um, and then there's also stuff always about, um, uh, names, you know, naming places, naming people. Uh, there's weird rules about how, like, if, if there's one person in the, uh, you know, our show is set in Seattle, obviously, if there's one person in the Seattle area that has a name that we're trying to use, then that name can't be cleared. But I think the rule also goes if there's like 50 people in Seattle that have that name, then we're fine because we're not, you know, no one's going to um, mistake our character for them if there's so many Mike Smiths or whatever. Um, so there's stuff like that or names of businesses. You know, we like to have business names and have a lot of, uh, you know, puns and that sort of thing. Um, and a lot of times, uh, so do people in the real world. So our, you know, our... Uh, our punny name for a laundromat or for a, uh, you know, for a gun range, uh, will already exist. And so we can't use it. We have to think of a bunch of alts. Uh, then you also have, um, broadcast standards and practices who, you know, are monitoring the amount of nudity and violence and swearing and all that stuff. So there's always a bit of a push and pull with them in terms of like, well, you know, on the 100, they massacred an entire room of children, but we can't, you know, we can't show a, a gunshot or something like that. Um, so there, there's weird, there's all kinds of weird little, uh, you know, like I said, editors along the way. Um, and then once you, you sort of have your scripts cleared um, by all those levels of, of um, supervision, uh, it goes to the, uh, you know, production office in Vancouver. And they come back with uh, usually – recommendations from two angles one being um you know do we have enough time to shoot all this stuff in eight days uh and and how many of our days are going to be you know three four hours over and what can we cut on those days to to make it work what what can we change in terms of like instead of doing this set at a you know the scene at a location that we'd have to rent out somewhere in the city can we change it and make it in the morgue which is a standing set that we own and, and is like you know right on our stages with everything else and easier to work with and that sort of thing. Uh, and then you also have budgetary concerns, obviously. So those two kind of go hand in hand, but they're kind of separate in a way. Um, you know, an episode I had this year, um, the episode I wrote this year, I should say we had, uh, you know, a, a very sort of, um, special effects, uh, laden scene, very actiony sort of scene that would have been awesome. would have been, um, you know, right up the sort of zombie genre alley, um, which we like to do from time to time, but it's just so prohibitively expensive. You've got, you know, if you have more than one Romero type zombie, you're talking about huge makeup costs and prosthetic costs. If you have any sort of uh, action, you're talking about stunts. You're talking about in this particular case, uh, we would have had a block off a street, you know? And so as soon as we sent in the outline, we got word back from the, production office saying, you know, we can afford to do that, but only if we don't shoot any of the rest of the episode. <laughs> so we had to eliminate that kind of action sequence and, and, you know, parts of it, elements of it got sort of spread out into, into different spots. And there certainly will be Romero's, uh, you know, this season and zombie action this season as there always is, but you just have to kind of pick your spots. And that's why a lot of it, we sort of save for the finale too, because we tend to get a little bit more leeway on the finale. Um, so, you know, that's why we were able to do the big, uh, Max Rager party, the Supermax party, 
at the end of season two. Um, but you couldn't have done, you know, to be able to do that, we couldn't have done, say, like, uh, even just an innocuous scene with a Romero every episode uh, mm. over the course of the season. That would have sapped our budget to the point where we couldn't have afforded, uh, you know, the big zombie outbreak at that at that Supermax party. So there's all, there's all kinds of considerations that end up uh, sort of changing your what your intentions were, what you thought you were going to write when we're all talking in that room together in the abstract, uh, you know, from a sort of a logistical standpoint or just like a reality of the television world uh, standpoint. Yeah. That, that's so interesting. Cause like as a viewer, I would never even know that. Cause like you guys do some crazy ass shit. We sure do. We sure do. You should, you should see the stuff that we don't get to do. It's, uh, ima- I can only imagine. Cause even that scene, um, with Robbie gets the gun pointed to his head. It was that second to last episode, last episode. Uh, third to last. Yeah. Okay, my memory, I, I have a, a baby at home, so my memory is, does not exist. Well, I only remember because was, that was another one I wrote. The, uh, yeah, that's right, that's right. Okay, and I, but that like that scene, oh my god. Oh, like it felt like a, kind of, you know, it's, you know it's, it's weird. I know it's not a TV show, but it kind of reminded me of a video game I used to play called SOCOM, which oh, is yeah. like precursor to like uh, Call of Duty right. kind of game. It had this like Call of Duty kind of vibe to it, which I absolutely loved. Well, that's exactly what we were going for. No way! Um, I was watching like just the coloring and the green. Like it reminded me of playing like uh, the PlayStation Two of that those games of like those silent, like or even like Resident Evil. You remember? Do you ever play those games when you were yeah, younger? Yeah, yeah, that sort of first person shooter thing. Yeah, and then yeah. like you'd be pl- first time in your life you're playing a video game that could actually scare you because like a zombie would jump out. Right. <laughs> like yeah, uh, that's yeah. Fun. Well, I mean that's, that's that rescue scene where you know Blaine and and Liv are raging out and coming in and the smoke grenade and all that. Um, you know, in the in the original version that was discussed and, and written, there was a lot more to it. Um, but you just you know you only have a certain amount of shooting hours in the day, and that was a location, so we weren't able to spend uh, you know two days there. And there was a lot of stuff happening, so we were just going from one one bit to the next um i mean preparation had a helicopter explosion this season too yeah well that one was um that one was pure vfx so that was a bit of a i mean not pure vfx obviously they shot everyone's reaction there but um yeah you know something like that there's definitely a huge cost associated with visual effects but uh in terms of how they shot it um it was a little easier because it was sort of just like one piece of as i recall you know, of our of our heroes kind of chit chatting, and then the helicopter takes off in the background, and you see it explode, yeah. and, and you just react to it. But yeah, I mean, you try to sort of ahead of shooting, you try to like thin everything out so that it's manageable. But of course, that's at odds with you know your best version in your imagination of what you want the scene to be. Um, so that's always a tug of war too. You know, where we want the show to be as awesome as possible, but they're just realities of, of what we're capable of shooting uh, in our in our time frame and on, on our budget, you know. So, like, do you feel like uh, I, like is it better to write? Like, you must feel kind of lucky. Like, it seems like you actually like the show. Like, I've, I've talked to other writers and heard stuff. Like, you know, I, I feel like not everyone who writes for like a show is sometimes it's just a job. But like, are right. all the writers you guys? At least it feels as if, at least from Twitter, that everyone actually seems to be a fan of the show and actually cares about being good. It's not like a CSI or like just a paycheck going home. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a fun show to work on from 
you know, the writer's room perspective, uh, as well as just from, you know, the overall perspective, like there's a lot of good people top to bottom, uh, both in LA and Vancouver that work on the show. And I haven't been in too many writer's rooms, so it's hard for me to say with, um, with any sort of personal perspective, but from what I've heard from everything I've heard, um, it's just a great writer's room environment to work in, in terms of, uh, you know, Rob's pretty efficient. Um, everything kind of runs on a, a, a schedule that you can set your watch to. There are no super late nights. There's not a whole lot of, I mean, there's in that environment, there's going to be some competition and some ego. And um, there's definitely, you know, people that get butthurt when their ideas don't land. Uh, probably me. Yeah, that's everywhere, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm a, you know, pretty bad offender in, in that regard. Um, <laughs> I mean, you all, you always think your idea is better than somebody else's because it came from your brain. And how could that possibly, how could anyone possibly top that? Um, but you, you know, you have to remember it's, it's not your show and uh, you, you serve at the pleasure of the showrunner and all that stuff. Um, but even, even from those perspectives, like it's a good group and a bunch of us have been working there. A couple of us have been working there from the very beginning. Um, I've been working there since before the beginning in a way. Uh, but started as an assistant uh, and then didn't didn't become a full staff writer until season two. Um, and at that point, there's a handful of us that uh, that all came on after season one, sort of together, and we've been on for the you know the next three seasons, sort of thing, as a group, and kind of got promoted together and, and went through our foibles and all that together. So it, it's a good group, um, and it's fun to work on. And I'm not going to pretend that I am. Uh, like a big time CW watcher. Uh, I'm more so now than I was before I started working for them. Um, but I, I do get a kick out of um, what we get to do with our show. Like, you know, there's, there's those frustrations I mentioned that you don't get to do as much action or be as edgy as you want. Um, and, you know, I think most of us are, are probably watching more uh, stuff that's on cable and, and streaming services where you can be edgier these days. Um but when it comes to broadcast shows, I mean, I, I love that we get to do the type of humor that we get to do. Um, everything's just so uh, sort of gallows humor by definition because our main character is dead. That um, it just it leads to a lot of uh, just fun discussions, and, and it's it's a lot of fun to be able to execute stuff where you're like, I can't believe that this idea that was sort of a half joke that somebody came up with in the writer's room is actually becoming a major plot point. Like it's just, there's some stuff that's just so funny and absurd, but it fits because the world that we're depicting is, is fairly absurd. Uh, I mean, the world that we live in is fairly absurd. So it's a lot of fun in that respect. And um, I mean, I assume I'd be, pretty happy and grateful and proud of any show I got to work on given that I'm fairly new to this business, but um, it is nice to work on a show that you're like, you're actively into. Um, obviously I'm way more into my episodes than anyone else's. Uh, As you should be. Yeah. I mean, they are the best ones. Let's be honest. Yeah, they're all very good. Yeah. Um, well, it's yeah. I, I noticed a huge shift uh, tonally from season one to season two where season two, the dialogue got, uh, really fun it got the joke the jokes just like uh almost like veep level like it just like really jumped up a notch not that's and i love season one but like season two like there's just this one sequence between ravi and major is like i can't remember he says something about like 
being like a metrosexual. It's like, hey, and it was just like, and that like, it just changed from there. Like, it just got so much funnier. Yeah. And I absolutely love that about the show. Uh, well, that's very kind of you to say. Um, and I mean, season two, again, was the season that I became a full-time writer. So I feel like I should say- so, Was it you? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like- no, I mean, no, most was, shows take a season to grow, but like I felt yeah. like I don't know if you ever felt that too. Like if you watch from what season one, very good, I but like so. season two, like episode one, it just something felt right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, there are a few episodes at the tail end of season one that I think sort of fit that bill as well. I think that was around when um, the show really started to find its sweet spot, and I think that's you know that's the writing staff, that's the showrunners, that's uh, that's the crew, that's the actors, that's everyone sort of like figuring it out. I mean, it was such a weird combination of uh, genre and tone in the very beginning. Yeah. I think there was a little bit of a, you know, a feeling out process of like, you know, what is the kind of uh, wheelhouse of the show? And I think they got there, um, you know, by the end of season one, uh, the second to last episode, especially, which is, if memory serves, the one where Liv is on uh, first the brains of a pothead and then the brains of a, uh, a cheerleader. Uh, both yes. Kids. Um, and there, there was just some really fun stuff in there. That was uh, that was Diane Ruggiero Wright that wrote that episode. And I think that um, served as a really nice sort of jumping off point of like the writers figuring out um, – you know, how far they could take some of these characters, especially when it comes to Liv's personalities. And also I think the actors, um, you know, finding, finding the performance that, uh, you know, that, that matched the, the writing and matched the sort of like mix of tones in a way that, you know, I read this quote a long time ago that I always remember. It was Lisa Kudrow talking about Phoebe on Friends. You know, she had such a, such an interesting sort of cadence to her, her line readings and to her delivery. Um, and the interviewer was asking her something about that. And she said, well, I think my job is to show the writers uh, what they can do, like how far they can take my character. And I think, you know, toward the, the back half of season one, that's when our actors started to, to find, uh, you know, the sweet spots for their characters and show us in the writer's room, um, you know, what, what we can do with them uh, and how far we could, we could sort of take them down our, our darkly humorous paths. Um, and I think we, I think we really both fed into that in season two. I think, um, you know, it was, it was pretty exciting because season one, we uh, debuted in the fall or in the spring. And then season two, we got a, a fall debut and, and had 13 episodes. You know, we, we thought we might get 22 episodes that year. So it was, we ended up getting 19, so it was a much fuller season, but we we had a, a different sort of energy, and there, there were new writers in the room, and um, I think everyone felt, you know, as we were shooting season one, nothing had aired yet, because uh, we didn't air until the spring, and we were done shooting by, like, January, I think. Um, so nobody knew what the reaction was going to be. It was just a big unknown. Um, but then season two, we'd had reactions, we'd had you know, decent ratings and a lot of positive reviews. Um, and so I think people went into it with a certain energy and a certain confidence season two that, that led to the stuff you're talking about. Like we, I think we were just more sure of ourselves uh, across the board. Uh, I of course wasn't because I had just gotten a visa and my <laughs> full-time job and was kind of shitting myself. And then, um, 
And then I wrote the fifth episode of that season, which was the uh, basketball coach one. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that my, my first draft was not particularly well received by, by Rob and Diane. So I was, uh, I was in a sweaty state, um, for, you know, the first half of that season. But I think in general, the show, um, was a lot more sure of itself going into season two. And I think that's why, um, you know, the changes that you noticed were, were evident. How do you guys pick the, the brains like for her personalities? How does that come out? Is that, that must be a fun day in the room. It is. I mean, we, the first assignment we've had every year, uh, are, are really our only homework we ever get is to come in, uh, with three pitches for, for cases. So we're supposed to come in with the brain and how it affects live and also like, you know, some of the suspects in the world that we'll be inhabiting as we, as Liv and Clive investigate the murder. Um, so we have this pool from the very beginning of the season of ideas to choose from. We don't always dip into that pool, but we basically look at each episode um, by starting with what, where we left off last episode in the uh, serialized continuous storylines. Uh, we look at each character, where they left off, where we want them to go next, and sort of devise like a vague uh, idea of what their story and what their scenes will be for the next episode. And then from there, we just kind of look at, you know, what's going on around Liv and what would be a fun brain for her to be on uh, in this context. Um, so if there's, you know, uh, problems with, uh, say, Clive and Basio, um, you know, it's, it's nice to have live on a brain that's going to be as annoying as possible uh, in terms of um, inserting herself into Clive's personal life. Um, so things like that are, are kind of what I guess our vague considerations are as we discuss potential brains. And then more so as the seasons have gone on, I think we've tried to tailor the selection of brains, especially in season four, we tailor the selection of brains to the, the writer who's assigned that episode. You know, my first episode in season one was the one where um, she uh, eats the brain of a young mother who's just sort of died and the baby survived. And so she has all these uh, strong maternal instincts. And I don't know if uh, how much you know about me, but I'm not a mother. So... It, it's uh, that was a weird one. That was a difficult one. Uh, That's a hard one to find humor in, but it's definitely yeah. there. I mean, I have a mother, so I guess that. Yeah, but um, I you know, Diane did a bunch of of dialogue uh, punch ups there because she is a mother and probably the most uh, maternal figure I've ever met. So uh, she's a mother to everyone she's ever met, uh, and so you know, there, there was that kind of thing going on uh, in early seasons where you weren't always necessarily working on a brain that was up your alley. Um, but this year, I mean, the uh, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but the episode I wrote, um, you know, the murder victim is a Canadian hockey player. So that, that felt a little more uh, like something I was familiar with. Um, you know, we have other writers that, uh, were given brains that were in their wheelhouse and also that they had been pitching for a couple of years. It was kind of the year of like those of us who'd been around for a while getting to finally do the brains that they'd been sort of bugging Rob about. Like, I, I mean, Diane and I have been bugging Rob to do a goon brain, a hockey player brain, uh, since before the show was a show. So 
there, there was a bit of that going on this year and that factored in a little bit, but mostly it's the considerations of like, what's everyone else up to? What is happening in the bigger picture in, in their lives and in Liv's life? And then what's a funny brain either to lean into that or to like, you know, um, provide conflict with that, that she can be on this week. That's awesome. Um, so I know we got, I actually have to start kind of wrapping it up. I have to get back yeah. to work like a sucker. <laughs> is there anything I, I missed and we missed or anything to touch upon or is that, is it good? I don't know. I feel like I was just carrying on like a fool. Um, oh no, it was so wonderful. I, I mean, uh, people who have listened to the show, like they've heard enough of me and they want to hear more of the guests. <laughs> right. That's <on>. what I've heard. That's <laughs> what I've gotten feedback from. Uh, well, that's great. Uh, I mean, not so much for you, but great for me. Um, great for the others. No, it is great. I, I enjoy. Uh, I, I've I've kind of like retooled. I'm like I'm only going to now pick people I really want to talk to, so I'm right. more engaged in listening. Now, be honest. You you probably enjoyed having me on a fair bit more than Raul, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I figured as much. He's quite abrasive. I think it's the action. <laughs> My wife was uh, quite jealous of that one. I bet. Yeah. Yeah, he. I mean, all the actors are fantastic, uh, and I'm. Maybe the last thing I'll say is that uh, I'm really excited for people to see, you know, what happens season four with the whole zombie secret out to the world, and what that does to Seattle, and what that does to our people within it. Uh, we've got some great guest stars. We've got some um, some more of some of our uh, our characters that pop up every so often, like. Uh, Jimmy the sketch artist and Vampire Steve. Yes. Uh, Vampire Steve is uh, one of our favorites in the room. I mean, they all are. There's so much um, fun little world building that, that we've done, I think, and that the show has done, not to take credit for it. But, um, and I just think it's a, you know, it's a real kind of paradigm shift that we uh, went into for the fourth season. Uh, much more so than uh, any of our previous seasons. Uh, and I think people are going to be are going to be pretty entertained by it. Uh, so I hope everyone watches. Uh, hopefully everyone watches live, but if they can't, uh, certainly can, can binge it on CW and on Netflix and all that. Um, but yeah, I, I just hope everyone digs it as much as we did while we were making it. What is it there? Uh, Monday, February 26th at 9 PM is our premiere. And then I think we go 13 episodes straight through. Uh, every Monday at nine after uh, Supergirl and then Legends of Tomorrow um, or maybe vice versa. But those are our two lead ins. So a new night for us. But uh, I have faith that our fans will find us and those that do will be rewarded handsomely. And that's a good lead in, too. Yeah. Yeah, they both are. Um, we used to have The Flash as our lead in, which was also great. But I feel like um, tonally we might be. Uh, we might be a little closer to some of those shows. And I think Monday night's going to be a good fit. Yeah. Supergirl got really good and uh flash got less good. <laughs> uh, I'll take your word for it. I don't uh, I, I, I've kind of given up this. I <laughs> zombies like the only one of the CW shows I've actually kept up with this year. Uh, well, that's, uh, I mean, I'm sad for all the other CW shows, but I'm very happy for us. Uh, yeah. And uh, where can like people find you online? To find me you, online, you're I, not much of a social media. No, I mean I I have a Twitter account which is at dear Bobden, which is just a little flip of my name, um, obviously. <laughs> but I only got it because Diane uh, forced me to um, under threat of violence because all the writers um, live tweet the episodes that they've written, and I was just doing it from our general iZombie writers account, uh, and so she called me names until I relented. 
So I, I do have a Twitter account. I just don't do much with it except for like, I love uh, interacting on show nights because um, you know, you get to talk to fans. All of, all of our fans are pretty great. Nobody's tweeting, uh, you know, asshole comments at me. Everyone's pretty, uh, pretty in the show. And the fact that we're able to, you know, interact sort of live on the day of our, our show airing, uh, I get a pretty big kick out of, but that's kind of all I use the Twitter machine for personally. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's the writer's room Twitter. That's pretty cool. People should follow that. That's how uh, we got connected. So thank you. Whoever runs that. Uh, well, that's a, a joint effort, but, uh, yeah, it's, a, that's, a at iZombie writers, I think. So that's, that's a pretty straightforward one to remember, but, um, they definitely do a lot more outreach and stuff than I do. So if people are fans of the show, definitely, uh, give that a follow. Awesome. Oh, dude, thank you so much for doing this. This is so fun. I, I can't wait for season four. Uh, thank you. This is, this is a treat. I, I've done like one or two podcast interviews before, but it, it's still a, it's a pretty big thrill to get to talk about what I'm doing for a living um, because I still can't believe I get to do it for a living. So thank you so much for, uh, for supporting the show and for having me on. Uh, and I had a, I had a great time chatting.